Hello, and welcome to the first episode of How Good It Is, a weekly podcast that takes a look at popular songs of the past and dives into their history, their meaning, or any other things that might be of interest surrounding those songs. My name is Claude Call, and as I'm sure you'll understand, I'm probably going to goof around with the format and some other details until I manage to find a groove. But if you have any suggestions or questions of your own, or if there's a song you'd like me to look into, well, please feel free to email me at howgoodpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find me on Twitter at howgooditispod, and you can check out the website howgooditis.com for some additional tidbits about the show. What's that, you didn't get all that at once? Okay, don't worry, I'll repeat it at the end. Now, I found that as useful as the internet is, it does tend to spread a lot of misinformation or speculation dressed up as facts when it comes to, okay, everything. What I strive to do here is run down some of those bits of information and see whether I can nail down the facts. If something is clearly speculation, or if it can't be sourced, or if it's just a guess on someone's part, I'm going to spell that out for you. And if something is clearly wrong, well, I'm going to call that out as well. In today's episode, we're going to look at the song I'm Not In Love by the band 10CC. Now, if you're an older guy like me, you probably remember this as a huge hit from 1975. And if you're a little bit younger, well, you probably remember it as the song that opens up the movie Guardians of the Galaxy. It's one of the songs that Chris Pratt's character is listening to as part of his awesome mix volume one tape. 10CC originally consisted of four musicians, Graham Goldman, Eric Stewart, Kevin Godley, and Lal Cream. Goldman and Stewart were mostly pop-style songwriters, while Godley and Cream were a little bit more artistic and experimental in their writing styles. Having said that, they all did manage to mix it up from time to time, so that if you look on the albums for the writing credits on the songs, you're going to see some Godley Goldman or Stuart Cream compositions as well. Now, Eric Stewart and Graham Goldman were members of the Mindbenders. That was Wayne Fontana's old group. And as that band started to move into its ending days, Stewart began recording some demos in a studio called Inner City Studios, which was owned by Peter Tattersall. In 1968, they became business partners, and they moved to a bigger location, which they named Strawberry Studios, a name that comes from the Beatles, Strawberry Fields Forever. A year later, Goldman used the Strawberry Studio to record some demos for the band Marmalade. By the end of the year, he was a financial partner in Strawberry Studios as well. And over the next three years, these musicians and a few others worked in various combinations for other musicians, occasionally putting together some tracks that didn't do a whole lot commercially. At least, not until the future members of 10CC got together to work on a couple of comeback albums for Neil Sedaka. Shortly after that, they pooled their talents to put together this track called Waterfall, which they sent to Apple Records. Several months later, they received a note from Apple telling them that it wasn't commercial enough. This rejection didn't stop them, though, and they recorded another song called Donna, which managed to crack the top 30 in England. By now, the band was known to the world as 10CC. Now, where that name came from has been the subject of some controversy. The official story is that Jonathan King, who owned the record label, chose the name based on a dream he had, in which he was standing in front of the Hammersmith Odeon Theater, 
we're the marquee red 10cc, the best band in the world. However, there is another story which King and Godley dispute, but which is affirmed by Cream and Goldman. And that says that 10cc represents a volume of semen that is more than the average amount ejaculated by men, thereby emphasizing their sexual potency. Given that the average ejaculation is just under 4 milliliters, 10cc seems like a lot of semen. But I digress. Let's get to the song. It was another few years before the band came up with the song that became their worldwide breakout hit. Eric Stewart came up with the initial idea for the song when his wife of eight years asked him why he didn't say he loved her more often. His explanation was that in his head, saying it too often would degrade its meaning. Stewart said that he wanted to experiment with trying to figure out another way of saying it, and he came up with saying, I'm not in love with you, while at the same time giving reasons throughout the song that hinted at why he couldn't let go of the relationship. Just a silly face I'm going through And just because I call you up Don't get me wrong Don't think you got it made He played around with it for a while before taking it to Goldman who suggested some changes and they cut a demo. Now what's interesting here is that the demo was recorded with a bossa nova rhythm bump ba bump 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 so on. They took this to Godly and Cream, and Godly and Cream just hated it, especially Godly, who had nothing positive to say. They disliked it so much, in fact, that they destroyed that demo, so there is no recording of the Bossa Nova version around anymore. But Stewart noticed that people were still singing the melody of the song around the studio, so he picked it up again with a twist. Instead of using a lot of instruments, use all voices. They spent three weeks recording Goldman, Godley, and Cream singing ah uh, 16 times for each note of the chromatic scale. That gave them 48 different voices for each note to work with. But that's not the crazy part. Here's the crazy part. Their biggest technical problem was how to keep these vocal notes going on for an infinite length of time. Nowadays, you sample something digitally and you can just loop it around. No big deal. But these were the days of physical tape. So what they had to do was create these 12-foot loops of tape that would run through the tape heads at one end, and at the other end, they'd run it through a contraption they devised that was mounted to the top of a microphone stand. That put a little bit of tension on the tape so that it would run through the player correctly. Then, each tape loop got its own channel in the mixing board, and that basically turned the board into a musical instrument of its own that you played by fading each track up or down. And then the last step Stewart took was to put a piece of duct tape across the mixing board to prevent anyone from completely fading down the tracks for each note. So you hear lots of human voices throughout the song, even when you think you don't. The entire song was recorded using these background voices plus the vocals, but it wasn't until all that was done that they added any instruments. And I'm sure you've noticed by now that the instrumentation is pretty sparse. Electric piano, guitar for the rhythm melody, and a synthesized bass drum sound. The middle eight bars and the bridge has some piano, and the middle eight also has a little bit of bass. And now they're done, right? No, not quite. They considered it finished, but Lal Godley thought there was still something missing. 
Stewart said that Lal remembered he'd said something into the grand piano microphone when he was doing the solo. He said, be quiet, big boys don't cry, and nobody really remembers why. They all liked it, but they also needed to find the right voice to speak the words. And according to Stewart, it was at that moment that the secretary from Strawberry Studios, Kathy Redfern, walked in and whispered to him that he had a phone call. Godley said, that's the voice. Her voice is perfect. And while the rest of the group agreed, Ms. Redfern did have to be talked into it. Tan CC was looking to leave Jonathan King's label, and it was on the strength of this track that they were able to secure a contract with Mercury Records. They got a five-year deal, they got a huge amount of money, and they left a serious imprint on the rock music scene. I'm Not In Love peaked at number two on the Billboard Hot 100 for three weeks. And here's something interesting. In each of those three weeks, there was a different number one record keeping them out of the top slot. The song has been covered many times, but probably the most successful cover was by the band Will To Power, which brought it to number seven in 1990. And that was the last big hit for that band. After I'm Not In Love, the band went through some lineup changes, but they still managed to put together a few big hits over the next several years. And that's it for this edition of How Good It Is. If you have any questions or suggestions, you can email me at howgoodpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can follow me on Twitter at howgooditispod. Or you can check out the show's website, howgooditis.com, where I'm going to throw in a few extra bits for you, too. Next time, we're going to take a trip to Japan and discover just how good it is to have some sukiyaki. I'll see you then. <laughs>